Welcome to the Twimmel AI Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Charrington. Taryn, welcome to This Week in Machine Learning and AI. Thank you so much for having me. Why don't we get started by having you tell us a little bit about your background and what sparked your interest in AI-generated music? Sure. I've done a lot of things in my background as an artist. I started out in Los Angeles as an actress and a writer for television. And then a few years into that, I started making YouTube videos, mainly just as a way to appease my boredom. And it became very clear after a few years of doing that, that there was actually a way to make a living. Um, I had a number of friends who were also in the YouTube world who had, had been early pioneers on the platform and had built up very large audiences and were living the dream, making whatever content they wanted to make. And I thought, I want to do that. So I started making weekly videos in 2012 and did that for about four years. I I made a weekly video, comedy, sketches, music videos, you name it, pretty much anything and everything. And and it was a really great experience. I also started producing videos for other companies as well and built up a digital production company. So over the course of 10 years, I made approximately 1,500 videos, which is a lot of content. Oh, and wow. I think, yeah, it's a tremendous amount. And I think what why this is relevant to what we're talking about now is as a YouTuber or a content creator in the digital world, for better or for worse, your your success is ultimately defined more by the quantity of creation than the quality. Um, and so as a result, you start finding a lot of tools um, to help increase your production and optimize your content to look as good as possible and be as good as possible in the shortest amount of time possible. Um, and so you almost become like a hacker <laughs> of sorts in terms of how you edit, how you shoot, you're always trying to find like the the quickest but best path uh, forward to make the best possible content and in a very very quick period. So, um, so as a YouTuber, I learned everything. I learned how to how to edit, how to light, how to do makeup, how to write, um, how to market, how to Photoshop photos, and how to do all of those things in an extremely short period of time. And with usually with simpler tools than perhaps what professionals used in each of those categories. And so ultimately around 2015, 2016, I grew very tired of the hamster wheel of content. And so I decided to throw in the towel and um, jump ship into a new area, something that would just really excite me and interest me. So I found myself drawn to VR and wanting to learn how to make VR content and do something new and different that didn't require me to like make content super fast. Um, and through that, I began working on a project utilizing artificial intelligence. I really wanted to explore how humans were using technology. And so um, due to a grant from Google, I was working on this experiential VR piece. And I really wanted to incorporate AI as much as I could. So I was just researching every tool that there was out there. And in my similar to my YouTube roots, I wanted to find tools that are user-friendly, easy to use, um, don't require me to learn a bunch of code. And that's how I ended up stumbling upon some of the current tools that I'm using on my album. 
And it, it really was just one of those happy accidents where I wanted to create something new and different. I liked the idea of not having a roadmap. And within a few weeks of working with some of the AI tools that I'd stumbled upon, I realized, wow, I can actually make some cool music with this. Maybe I should turn this into a separate project all on its own. And that's exactly what I ended up doing with the album. Oh, wow. On your website, you describe yourself as the first artist to work with artificial intelligence as the sole composition and instrumentation tool on a music album. What exactly does that mean? Good question. And I think that the definitions get a little bit hazy when you're looking at how AI is currently used for music today. And quite frankly, I'm not the first album to incorporate AI. In fact, Flow Machines just released an album two months ago. I haven't even released my album yet. I've released um, I've released two singles publicly. I've got a third one coming out in two weeks and then a fourth one coming out in June. And then I released the album in September. Um, what was, I suppose, unique about the first song I released and the second song September of last year and January of this year, respectively, was that all of the instrumentation that you hear in that music was spit out from the AI tool that I used to compose with it. Whereas a lot of the other AI tools or AI songs that you'll hear currently on the market today, those were software, those were built from software that essentially created a MIDI track which then a human used to transpose into instruments of their choosing. So they could essentially extract extract the notes from the MIDI track, separate them um, according to how they want those notes to to be heard and rearrange those notes, uh, reconstruct those notes. I mean, there was a lot of, there's a lot of human interaction with those, with those musical pieces and then transpose it into the instrumentation, which is not a bad thing. It's a great, I mean, it's just, it's another tool that humans can use, but it requires a certain level, I think, of musical acumen on the part of the user to be able to make those kinds of choices. Whereas the first two songs I released, you could, you could say that the tool I used was like the AI for beginners tool, where you don't need to know anything about music. All you need to do is make choices like a, like a film editor would make choices with, um, with film footage. So I think, I think that's actually the best possible example of what I'm talking about is the tool I use for those two songs, Amper, very easy user interface, front facing, you make choices like what BPM you want the music to be, what genre, what types of instruments you want to be included. You can specify them. And then it spits out a finished track. Now, from that finished track, you can download the stems and you can re- you can mix them. You can make them, you can take some instruments and cut them out, et cetera. But essentially, um, those instruments were inputted into the AI system with the thousands of different notes of variation, different ways of playing the instruments, and then the AI is actually making those choices for you. So um, so I was not the one choosing those instruments or making any of those sounds, unlike a lot of the AI other, other AI projects that you might see out there. Hmm. You mentioned stems. What are those? Stems are like the individual pieces of... It's like the individual file for each instrument. So when you download a finished song, you've got an MP3, but a stem would be separating out the trombones, the drums, the guitar. So that way in a mix, you can actually have them at different volumes, come in and out, have more variation of sound. That's what gives you that full sound when you're listening to the radio. So you mentioned uh, some of the parameters that you kind of tune with this, the beats per minute and, and some others. What, what's the, like, how much control do you feel like you have as an artist given this approach to creating music? 
The question is how much time you have. <laughs> because <laughs> here's the thing. Yeah, I mean, you, you really are. The th- when people ask whether or not it, working with AI reduces the creativity of the artist, I don't, I don't think so at all. I think it just changes the role of the artist. So, for instance, in my case, I don't come from a musical background. I can sing. I write melodies, vocal melodies. I can I can hear harmonies in my head, but if I had to actually put my hands on a piano or a guitar, I wouldn't know what in the world to do with it um, because I just don't have that tactile memory and I haven't taken the time to learn. And it's very hard to learn those things in this, as an adult. When I'm working with these tools, I'm basically getting a bunch of raw data. I can then pick and choose from that raw data for as much time as I have in a day. I can listen to hundreds, if not thousands of pieces of music discern which piece I find interesting. And then from there, I can iterate on that one piece of music as many times as I'd like. I can change the instruments. I can change the BPM. I can change the key. I can change how the, you know, whether that's a mixolydian key or a major, or uh, I can change the genre so that it's got more of an empowering and anthemic feel rather than like a sad um, ballad type of feel. And so I can make all of these choices and those choices end up changing the piece dramatically. It's almost as if you handed three editors a bunch of raw film footage and you told them all to make a movie. And they're all going to make a very, very different kind of movie. And it ultimately just depends on how much time you have. But I I just think the work becomes a lot more editorial-based. Um, but it is, I think these kinds of tools will, 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 will see a ton of a ton of creative input and it's, it, it just, um, it's a matter of time to see how people will utilize them and what other things will, will come out of their use. Where did the, the music creation, uh, part of the process fit in relative to, uh, creating the song and, and other aspects of the songwriting process? Did you already have the song and you created the music for it? Did you create the, the song for the music? Did somehow the AI tool, um, did you sing the song and the AI tool mapped to the song as sung, or did you change the way you sung the song uh, to the tool? How does that whole workflow come together for you? So it's different for every song, and I'll give you two different examples. Um, the two songs that you heard that have already been released, Break Free and Life Support, I wrote those songs to the music once the music was almost complete. Okay. Basically, I got to a point where I was very happy with one of the exported songs, um, probably after dozens of iterations within Amper. And from there, the song had a certain feeling to it. And I was really writing to that feeling and imagining, imagining the world that I wanted to create based on what the music was, was sort of doing (laughs) inside of me. And so the first song I wrote, I wrote a song about what it might be like to be an AI in the future who's so intelligent that she doesn't know whether she's AI or human. And the song had a lot of synth elements and kind of quirky machine-like sounds. And so it just, it felt like it fit. And then once I was done with the lyrics, then I went back to the song and I said, is there any part of this that doesn't really work or that needs to be changed? And so I went back in and iterated. So it was a little bit of a back and forth process, but it definitely the, the, the lyrics and even the vocal melodies, those were all born out of the music that had essentially um, been finished. At least the melodies were in a place that I was really happy with. And then when I'm working with a tool like IBM Watson, it's quite a bit different. Um, I wrote a song recently with a couple hundred people, which sounds absurd, but and it kind of is, but it was really fun, um, utilizing some blockchain technology. And we basically we had people submitting song lyrics 
in a certain category. We decided we wanted to write a song that was essentially the blockchain anthem for, uh, <laughs> you know, for this new generation of people who who kind of like want to do things differently, want to break the rules, want to build something from scratch again, um, and just write something that kind of had that that impact for them. And so we did that, and that was just based on submissions of lyrics from everyone. And then I decided to start ingesting everyone's favorite anthem into IBM Watson. So I actually asked the group, what are your favorite anthemic songs from the 1700s, 1800s, 1900s? I don't care. Just give me an anthem. And we did. Once I transposed those songs into midis, I was able to feed it into Watson. And then Watson was able to learn from those anthems and create something new out of it. And I found that to be really fun, like giving the software inspiration um, collectively from the group that represented something to them. And so the result is a mixture of sort of an anthemic synth pop song. Um, and you know, I still wrote the, the lyrics had been done, but I, but I really made sure, I really made sure that whatever IBM, whatever Watson was spitting out, um, kind of fit the, fit the lyrics. So there were a few songs I had to throw out, even though I liked them just because they weren't, they just weren't good foot fits. Um, and I, so I think the process can go both ways. What does it mean to feed those, those MIDI files into Watson? Uh, for example, which of the Watson products did you use? I used Watson beat, which you can currently download on GitHub. Um, it runs entirely in terminals, so it's not the most user-friendly. It's not like Amper where anyone can just go in and use it. You have to have some, some basic knowledge of code and there's a, you know, there's a, a user guide, in the GitHub station that you can use to also find it. But you can feed a number of different things into the system. You can feed it data, but you can also utilize some of the existing um, MIDI tracks that they have available to you. Like you can make a, a song based on the, the learnings of Mary Had a Little Lamb or other royalty-free songs. And then you can set parameters similar to how you can do with Amper around BPM, key, the instrumentation, at what point section two or section three or section four of the song begins and ends. Um, there's actually a lot of differentiation that you can utilize with uh, Watson. And what's the what's the relationship fundamentally between the the MIDI files, the data that you're feeding into this tool and what it's... Um, producing at the on the output and where does really artificial intelligence come in as opposed to just some kind of computer generated aggregation of stuff that you've provided right well i'm sadly not the programmer using it so i can only tell you what i have been told (laughs) and i would love for other ai programmers and researchers to look further into some of these tools and and actually analyze you know their integrity in terms of 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 what type of network they are and and how they work but from what i understand with google magenta with both google magenta and ibm watson they study the patterns in the music that it's being fed and so from those patterns they can discern um what types of music should be coming next it sounds like a lot of its statistical analysis Running, you know, if you have a G chord, then 70% of the time you'll move to a D if this is a anthemic pop song versus if this is a sad ballad, you know, 30% of the time you'll move to a D and then it will sort of transpose and and learn from there. That's the general model. But with Magenta, you can feed it a lot more music in a grouping. Um, and same with uh, Ava, which is another, it's an orchestral AI where they, they'll feed it up to 10,000 
songs at one time. So there's a lot more generative analysis. Okay, so the idea is that you're feeding these tools uh, some input data and it's going to produce output that's similar to whatever the input tunes that you're giving it, um, but within you know some set new of parameters or constraints that you've that's specified. That's right, because you're applying new constraints or parameters, like new styles, new genres, on top of a, uh, an existing set of music that gives it some sense of statistical patterning. Mm-hmm. And so your inspiration for this was coming out of the YouTube world and kind of going for volume or quantity over quality. Is that, do you see that as being really the only role for this type of creativity or is there? Definitely not. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, like using AI is not fast or easy. Um, to, To make something good takes a significant amount of time. I think, I think what I intended with my statement was to demonstrate that there's a whole new group of people out there who, um, I think as a result of the internet era, really, we've just seen a whole new group of people who, um, in order to, to wear a hundred hats, which they typically do now in blogging and in video creation, they have to find really great tools to do so. And I'm not a fan of like the fast, quick and dirty way of doing things. Cause to me, I really want to make great art and I really want to tell great stories and doing things super quickly doesn't necessarily work, but being able to have complete control over your over the entire process can be really important for artistry. And so I know in my case, like if I want to make a song on my own, I've got to call up a music producer. I probably have to pay them a couple thousand dollars if they're good. Um, and I've got to drive halfway across the 405 in Los Angeles <laughs> to get there and record with them. And there's nothing wrong with that model, but that model is in- inherently prohibitive. It keeps a lot of people from being able to create art. It certainly, there's a you know, high barrier to entry in terms of financial resources and or skill sets that are required to do that. And so now I can use these tools to actually make music on my own. That's really exciting. And I think that that same kind of hacker DIY mentality has, a, has proliferated across, you know, all types of content creation because of, um, because of the internet and because of the tools that we have at our disposal. And everyone just wants to, everyone wants to create. I mean, if we look at like photography alone, right? I mean, thanks to filters and Instagram, it's like everyone's a photographer and that might be a bad thing for photographers. Um, so, but it's also a really good thing for people that want to express themselves and have a hand in, in the creative process. So, who are the I new photographers? Of, uh, the thousands of people who post <laughs> on Instagram and think they're photographers, um, you know, or who who are able to make decent photographs um, who may not have been able to do. I mean, look at all even like it's crazy to think about the the, the huge boom in, in makeup over the last five, six years because of YouTube makeup tutorials. It's one of the largest categories of videos online. And so all these girls, they, they have learned new ways of creating makeup looks. And so they're like makeup artists in their own right. And I'm sure that it's been pretty hard on the makeup artist community. But so all of these things are, are both suffering and benefiting from these new tools that allow for us to create quickly, easily. Um, but I do think that everywhere you find these new tools, you also find artists who are using them and spending hours and hours and hours (laughs) to make something awesome with them. So like, even for me, I would not say that my time 
has been reduced in being able to make this album. Mm. You mentioned uh, so far Amper, Watson, Magenta, and Ava, Eva. Are there other tools that you've come across or used in the process of creating this uh, album and AI tools in particular? There are. There's a there's a tool called Lander, which allows it's an AI tool that masters the music, which is essentially the process of taking a finished mix and then pulling out certain high and low decibels within the range for like a radio or um, a surround stereo mix. That's typically a, a process that that's expensive and and you need like a, a very specialized audio engineer to do. Um, there's also a company called AI Music out of the UK, which is doing some very interesting things. I'm not sure if they've launched yet, but it will, I believe, allow people to, um, I, I saw an early demo of it, which will allow people to sing into a microphone and the AI can analyze the melody and basically play music in tandem while you are singing. So you kind of have a, have a live duet partner, so, so to speak. And then there are also tools through the through both Google and uh, and IBM that do other things in the music sphere like AI Duet or InSynth, which allows you to create new sounds by combining sounds like a cat and a harp together. Now you can have a new instrument called a carp. <laughs> um, I mean, there's all kinds of wacky things that have a variation of of uses, um, <laughs> but I'm trying to utilize as much as I can on the album in fun ways, but, um, I'm sure that we'll just see more and more as time goes on. Oh, also Juke Deck. Juke Deck is another, um, UK based company that's great for jingles and very quick kind of little ditties that you might use for a corporate video or something like that. What are the things that you've learned? Maybe the, the top two or three things that you've learned that you know, might be useful for someone who wants to experiment with AI generated music? Um, top few things I've learned. Well, I would say you have to, oh my goodness. Um, I've learned a lot. I think it just depends on the software that you're using. There aren't a lot of people making music right now with AI software. So it takes a lot of trial and error. There aren't any great user guides. I think understanding the limitations of each program is important because you can really um, devise a strategy based on those limitations and make what you feel is the best possible thing that you can make with that software. I would also say that it's good to go in with a general idea of what kind of style and tastes you might have in the music sphere. So for instance, when I use Amper, I really focus on cinematic and symphonic electronic sounds. Um, I really like kind of soundtrack, movie soundtrack sounding music. And so that was my my North Star in creating. Otherwise, Otherwise, you just end up with way too many options and it's hard to actually boil something down um, that you like. And, and was that related I, to that particular project or uh, yeah, a particular really strength of Amper. Amper? I think it was a, both, um, strength of Amper, Amper for sure. I, you know, I went through a bunch of their styles and I found that the cinematic style was one of my favorites, okay. whereas other styles might have been weaker. Um, at, at least from, in terms of my musical preferences. And then I also just felt like I wanted this project to have an epic kind of feel to it. And so I wanted there to be, I wanted there to be that movie magic feeling to it, but I also love electronic music. So I had to uh, combine those two things. There are a bunch of interesting parallels here with uh, with data science, which is the typical 
uh, conversation topic on this podcast, one of the things that you mentioned was just the iterative nature of creation with these tools. And that's certainly the case for folks that are trying to solve, um, you know, business or engineering types of problems with, uh, with these AI tools. And you also mentioned just understanding the limitations of the tool. And I guess that's important with, you know, any use of any tool, uh, you know, particularly technology tools. Are there any other observations like that that you've come across? I mean, I think that's primarily it. What, what I've found is that the, the AI is not just giving me data. It's giving me new sources of inspiration. And so what I try to do is stretch outside my comfort zone. Because if I were to collaborate with someone here in LA, for instance, let, let's say I was able to find a couple thousand dollars to collaborate with a record producer here. The likelihood of that person being a pop producer who's trained in, you know, radio pop hits that understands that formula is very high because that's just that's what you're going to find. Whereas if I'm working with an AI, like <laughs> depending on what software or program I'm working with and the the parameters that the engineers have set, and depending on what type of data I feed it, I could get something totally random. And that's exactly what I've found with all of these programs to varying degrees is that there's a lot of randomness that comes out of collaborating with this software. And I love that because I think what it does is it forces me to think outside of my own box and it gives me a new collaborative partner that's not that's not an obvious, that's not going to go in an obvious direction. So I guess I would just encourage people to think about these new tools as um, as really new and unique sources of inspiration. And it might be the thing that's very strange or offbeat that is actually the most brilliant seed of an idea. We're, we're clearly just at the beginning of all of this. Where do you see it going based on your experience, you know, creating this album, working with these tools? Do you do you have a, a a sense of the direction this will all take? Oh my goodness! Um, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> in the same way, when I when I started making YouTube videos, I thought I thought to myself, in a few years, everyone is going to be a YouTuber. <laughs> not <laughs> not everyone, but I thought a lot of people are going to become content creators. A because making content is fun, and B because people love to express themselves and they want to be seen. And before YouTube was around, you couldn't just be seen. There were huge gatekeepers. You had to live in LA, have an agent, be going out on auditions. Like that was the only way that that you could actually have your material seen. And all of a sudden you have this platform where millions of people could could listen to you. Whether or not you deserve to be watched, it was it's another question. But um I think with these new AI tools, you'll see the same thing. Um and specifically with music. I think we'll see a lot new artists, uh, a lot of new artists, a lot of like a huge democratization of the music creation process. It's just becoming so much easier to make something that sounds great um, without all of the super expensive tools that you needed 10 years ago. They had to go into a studio to use. Um, and some people will say that's, you know, not a good thing. And and maybe that's the case. Um, I think there's an argument on the other side as well that that um, everyone sort of deserves their shot and we are all artists that deep down want to create and, and make stuff. Um, that's sort of part of the human, I think the human experience. So I think we'll see a democratization in that, in that regard. And honestly, what I'm most excited about is the fact that out of this democratization will inevitably come new art. 
um, new forms of art that we can't even yet conceive, whether that's figuring out how to create music that shifts someone's mood through bio-tracking devices or is um, immersive musical art in the form of not just sounds, but three-dimensional visuals, augmented reality, virtual reality. I think we'll see a whole new crop of artists uh, come up that are not just music artists or visual artists or video artists, but kind of create an entire experience for someone. Um, and so I think that that's, that's really what we have to be excited about is the fact that, um, every time we get really good at one thing, we as humans usually figure out uh, something new <laughs> as a result of that. And, and that becomes uh, part of our, part of our culture. So. Mm, awesome. Awesome. Uh, it, it just occurred to me that this would be a good time to kind of throw this out there for our audience, really. Um, and maybe you can give them uh, some tips uh, if anyone wants to take on this challenge. But my producer and, and editor are not huge fans of the uh, the royalty-free intro music that I use here at the podcast and have used mm-hmm. for the past couple of years. And, you know, we really should have an AI generated track, AI generated intro theme song. So if anyone in the audience wants to take that on, you are certainly welcome to do that. And Taryn, do you have any tips as to where they should start? Where would you say your audience sits on the spectrum of AI capabilities? Uh, I think I'd say they're pretty capable. Uh, They tend to be fairly technical and fairly, uh, fairly excited about AI. Awesome. Well, if they have any musical experience whatsoever with the DAW workstation, like Logic or Pro Tools or GarageBand even is sufficient, I would recommend they use either Google Magenta or IBM Watson's tool just because they'll have more control over the inputs and parameters and they can actually go in and change the code if they so choose. Um, If they are very AI proficient, but musically not proficient, then maybe Amper is a good place for them to go just to play around. And they could certainly make you something very quickly. So I would recommend any of those tools to start. And might I add that if anyone else stumbles upon anything new, just because I'm head down with the album right now, please send it my way. They can just tweet it to me. I'm always excited to learn about new interfaces. And I'm also simultaneously running a contest um, for the last song on my album. I, I'm i putting it out there so we can also extend this to your audience as well, that anyone who writes a song, composes a track uh, that I like using one of the tools that are out there with AI, I will co-write the song with them and they will be a co-writer on my on that track on my album. So taking submissions up up until June 30th. Awesome. So two AI music contests announced <laughs> right here, the Twimmel intro contest and Taryn Southern's uh, last track on her album, AI music contest. And if we have any overachievers in the audience, what you should be doing is writing a composition that can serve as both the Twimmel intro track and Taryn's uh last track on our album and maybe she'll write the the track about the podcast or something. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Well, Taryn, it, it's been really, really great to get to chat with you about this. Um, thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks, Sam. You too. Take care. All right, everyone. That's our show for today. 
For more information on Taryn or any of the topics covered in this episode, head on over to twimlai.com slash talk slash 139. Thanks so much for listening and catch you next time.